Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is found in Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kelneh and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great, then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seed of violence. Woe to those who lie on their beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. So far God's holy word. Congregation may be seated. In the name of him who is our ever-patient king of kings, dear fellow redeemed. This Amos, of whom the book is named, was originally not a prophet. He was a shepherd. But instead of spending his time in the fields tending to his flock, God called him to proclaim a message of judgment to the people of Judah and Israel. The people had become callous, complacent, and selfish. Prior to Amos's time, the histories of both nations were filled with wartime, economic depressions, and all around uncertainty. There were betrayals, assassinations of kings, and almost constant worshiping of false idols. But now, times had changed, at least politically. Under Jeroboam II, Israel experienced a time of great economic growth, as well as military growth. Their prosperity was the greatest it had been since the days of Solomon. But as great as their prosperity was, so also their depravity. Amos spends a large portion of his book condemning the people for their transgressions. In fact, it's difficult to find any gospel in the book of Amos until the very last chapter. The people did not lie in their basic beds, but they had to have beds of ivory. They feasted on roasted lamb and prime rib every day. They didn't just drink wine or use it as a cleansing agent, but they drank it by the bowlful. They did not reserve the best of the oils for the worship of the Lord, but they anointed themselves so that they would seem better. Now some of these things are not wrong in and of themselves, but the people did them without regard for their fellow man, nor with regard to what God had to say about it. They were abusing their luxuries, refusing to honor the one from whom these blessings came. Self-indulgence and indifference filled the hearts of the people. 
Their worst offense of all was that they did not mourn the destruction of Joseph. Now Joseph did not receive land like the rest of his brothers did in the land of Canaan. The land was given to his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They grew to be two of the largest nations in the land of Israel. And sometimes they are used to describe the whole of Israel entirely. The people did not feel remorse for their sins. And they did not mourn or recognize the incoming judgment that would fall upon Israel. In a few short years, the nation of Assyria would swing through the northern tribes, taking them away into captivity, where they will never return to their homeland. God's patience had run out. They disregarded his law. They followed man-made gods. And they ignored and even killed God's prophets who tried to warn them. God had been extremely patient with them for nearly a thousand years. But that time had come to an end. And Amos delivered the verdict. Now why didn't the people fear the judgment of God? Well, they simply did not care. They felt that because they were God's chosen people, they were safe. They looked upon their abundant prosperity and figured, well, God must be pleased with us, or else he will not have, we will not be so prosperous. There's no way he is going to judge us. Now, there's hardly a nation that is more prosperous than America is today. Has a similar mentality settled in among God's chosen people. Now our society has definitely fallen into the same sin as Israel and their self-indulgence. Turn on the TV and it seems every commercial makes it their mission to think, make you think that you need their product. If you don't buy what they're selling, you're missing out. Your life is at a disadvantage. Paul warned Timothy of the same attitude in our epistle lesson today. He said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. We need to recognize that all our blessings come from the Lord. And we should thank Him for everything that He has given us and be content with His blessings. But the main problem Amos is dealing with is not with the society or with unbelievers. It is with the people of God, with the church. He is condemning them for the lack of law within the church. The people of Israel openly rejected the word of the Lord brought to them through the prophets. They did not want to hear that what they were doing was wrong. But they only cared about the quality of life that they had. They would look the other way when there were abuses in the temple. Or when people were not worshiping Jehovah as they should. As long as their pockets were full and their bellies filled, they could not care less. And this is the attitude so often found in American Christianity today. Take a look at the ELCA. They have changed their position on gay marriage, the inerrancy of Scripture, and even the ordination of LGBTQ clergy. What once was a confessional Lutheran church body 
now is hardly recognizable because they have abandoned the law. Everything goes. They never felt the need to stand up against the foolishness of the world. In an effort to appeal to the world, to gain members, they lose the very thing that separated them from the sinful world. That is the truth of God's word. And what about us? Does it ever seem like this attitude is creeping into the CLC? We certainly pray that God preserves us from that, but it is not impossible. Now, it's no secret that membership in the CLC is low, and weekly attendance in church is even lower. But what's the answer? How do we keep our numbers high? Is it by appealing to the world around us? Should we change to change to fit the popular theme of the day? Well, the truth is, the world has not changed. Even in the days of Amos, Satan used the world to seduce the faithful of God away, to lull them into a false sense of security and open the door for God's judgment. Just because we belong to the CLC by name alone does not exempt us from God's judgment. Jeremiah wrote, Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It is not enough to say, I belong to such and such a church, and sit back content. You and I are members not just of of a physical church, but we are members of the Holy Christian Church. And if we are not willing to stand up for the truth of all of God's word, we are no better than the nation of Israel, inviting God's patience to come to an end. Are there any pet sins that you have learned to ignore? The idea that, well, I'm going to sin anyway, and this sin isn't as bad as what I could be doing, so it's not that big of a deal. That attitude towards sin is what opens the door to a greater disregard for God's word. A complacency worthy of God's judgment. In 2014, there was a public execution in Iran. During a street fight, a 17-year-old named Bilal had stabbed another boy his age. In Iran, executions were carried out differently than America. There, the victim's family is invited to take an active role in the slain. Bilal was tied, hand and feet, and hoisted atop of a chair with a noose around his neck. The parents were invited to kick the chair out from under him so that his neck would break. The grieving parents, or naturally, Bilal was terrified. The mother of his victim walked up, looked him in the eye, and slapped him across the face. Then her husband stepped forward and slowly put his trembling hands around the prisoner's neck and lifted the noose away. Immediately, Bilal's mother rushed forward and hugged the merciful mom. Together they cried, one for a son who was murdered, the other for the son who was spared.
2,000 years ago, God's patience came to an end when his son was executed. Now there are some big differences in these two events. Bilal was guilty beyond any doubt. Jesus was completely innocent of any crime. Bilal would have escaped if he was given the chance. And Jesus could have walked away at any moment if he wanted to. If he decided that a world full of sinners was not worth it, he could have stepped away. He could have ordered a legion of angels to fight for him so that he would not be crucified. Bilal received an undeserved pardon. Jesus received an undeserved condemnation. But this Jesus bore willingly. Jesus knows sinners. Jesus knows us. He knows that we will stumble and fail, so he covers those sins. And Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit that creates a faith in our heart to believe unto him for salvation. It's not about what we belong to, but who we belong to. We belong to Jesus. And this faith in Jesus delivers us from the judgment of God. In love, Jesus comes to us in the law and the gospel in order to strengthen us, to keep us from becoming complacent. He wants to set us up as bright shining lights to light the way for others in this sin-darkened world to escape the judgment of God. God has not changed since the beginning of the world. His desire has always been and will continue to be to reach all people. Show them his loving patience and bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. He did this for the people of Israel by sending prophets like Amos, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. He did this by sending his own son to die for a world who deserved nothing but eternal death. And what does God demand in return? Nothing. God does not demand anything of us, but he gives us his Holy Spirit who fills us with love for him. That love that makes us want to serve him. That love that inspires us to be active in the church, preserving and protecting his word in the face of a rapidly changing and deteriorating world. We are like the prophet Amos, proclaiming God's warning to the world that God's patience is on a timer. It ran out and it brought judgment on Israel but it also ran out on his son. And because of that, God's patience will never run out on those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.